Welcome to Postpartum Stories with Steph, candid conversations with mums and sometimes dads about the precious yet chaotic time that is life after birth. My name is Steph, woman, warrior, wife, mother, coffee lover and feminist. I'm a postpartum doula in Melbourne and you can find me on Instagram at postpartum underscore with underscore Steph with a PH. Through this podcast, I will chat to women and birthing people in a real and raw way about their postpartum experience. So sit back, grab a cuppa, even if it's cold, take off your bra and enjoy. Today's episode is one that I'm really excited to bring to you. Uh, It's with Marnie Hillier. Uh, She's a New Zealand-based businesswoman, mother, wife, badass. <laughs> um, Marnie runs a business called Ms. Marnie and it's a t-shirt and accessories line, but like she says, it's so much more than that. Um, she's through her uh, designs and slogans, she's been able to bring together or create basically a women's empowerment movement uh, of women supporting women, of uh, supporting mums, and making other mothers feel less alone in this journey. Uh, She also talks really openly and honestly on her Instagram about the challenges that she faces um, as a mother and a wife. And uh, she's not afraid to sort of have those deep and critical thoughts about things and question things in her life that aren't serving her, which is really refreshing in my opinion. Um, We talk a lot in this podcast about baby sleep Uh, sleep deprivation, um, all of those things that come with having a newborn and a child, a young child. Um, We also talk a lot about motherhood and martyrdom, which is something that um, Marnie speaks really passionately about because about 18 months ago, she was able to recognise that she had been sort of living up to this martyr role of putting all of her needs last Um, sacrificing everything about herself in order to be the best mum in quote marks Um, you know she she was raised on this idea that once you become a mother it's never about you and 18 months ago she decided you know what it is about me and I need to put my needs first in order to be a a great a good mum so uh, her her husband became a stay-at-home dad Uh, 18 months ago and she talks about that in the podcast and she works uh, full-time on her business so I really hope that you enjoy today's conversation Um, excuse me you can find Marnie on Instagram at Ms MS um, Ms 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 Marnie underscore is underscore here I will put a copy of that in the show notes so that you can click directly to that page. (laughs) Um, Yeah, hope you enjoy today's show. So I was just thinking about all of this before the call and in the last couple of days, and I feel like I know so much of your story just from following you on Instagram because you're so open and honest about everything, which is amazing. And so I was sort of like, well, how am I, what, what am I going to ask Marnie? Like, so I think maybe let's, 
Well, first off, do you want to just talk a little bit about who you are and who's in your family? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my name is Marnie and I am a mum to two young boys and recently we just added a fur baby who also is a boy and I in my mind I was like oh my god I need a girl like I, if I'm <laughs> gonna get an animal it needs to be a girl and then the rescue pup that we found was a boy and I'm like it's just my destiny to be outnumbered by <laughs> yeah to be surrounded by penises oh uh, to be surrounded by penises it's just <laughs> my destiny and like of course he's really energetic and never stops just mm -hmm. like the boys mm -hmm. um so I live in a very small beach town with my husband and and the boys recently we moved there here just before COVID it is an incredible paradise but it's we hadn't got around to meeting anyone so it's been a very strange kind of ghost town and then us not knowing anyone. So that's been a journey. Um, and then I have a business called Ms. Marnie, which was previously Eskimo Now, which is women's, I find it really hard to describe. It's it's t-shirts for women, but it's not just t-shirts. It's they are, they are graphic t-shirts that have images and graphics and designs on them and slogans on them that uh, about empowering women and empowering mums because that's where it stemmed from for me about having a voice as a mother when I completely lost myself and needed somehow to um, just find the fun and joy and sass that I knew was in there again. Mm -hmm. Well, and we're definitely going to talk about that because <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's a big part of your story. Um, what? So how old are the boys? So Mac, human is, boys, human boys, human. Uh, my youngest Mac is two and a half, not quite two and a half. And Riv is four and a half. And so what was early postpartum like for you? Like those first sort of few weeks? So with Riv, it was amazing. Like I really, I had an incredible birth with him, an incredible home birth. It was, you know, I had, I had found hypnobirthing actually through my sister before I'd even got pregnant and became really excited to learn about um, another way of parenting that I hadn't seen or experienced, just an, the idea of, of slowing down and, and really being child-led, and I loved all of that. And then I had a home birth, and so from that moment of having him at home, I really felt that that I didn't have a desire to jump back into my normal life I didn't have a, a mentality that he needed to fit in with our life I kind of really looked forward to this slow postpartum mm -hmm. and and I had that and he was um I guess in my head I was like everything that I've learned about normal baby sleep knowing that they you know had this idea that I knew they woke up and I knew babies didn't sleep through the night from day dot so when he didn't I felt like well that makes sense because you mm. know then I don't expect him to and so my expectations were met you know mm. almost in a, in a good way um but yeah we just chilled out I just look back now and I made delicious food like organic I just I was that mom I was like making <laughs> organic food and and literally I can remember looking back on my Instagram there's a picture of him just kind of flopped over my shoulder you know how you do with newborns and they're so tiny and they just kind of flop there asleep and I'm doing everything with one hand I'm making coffee with one hand and I kind of captioned it like um life with a baby is like normal life um with 
with but doing everything with one hand and a big smile and smiley face and coffee and mm-hmm. I looked back on that later and I was like you had no fucking idea what was going <laughs> for you it's and great I, when sorry it was great when you can just sort of flop them over your shoulder and and do a few things with one hand but it changes pretty quickly <laughs> oh, it, and and as well just I think there's a an adrenaline that comes after birth well I experienced this because I I didn't had, because I had such a um, trauma-free birth, I had a lot of it kind of adrenaline from it. And I think just the excitement of it being your first child and, and obviously, well, not obviously, I was lucky Steve took a couple of weeks off work. And and so the adrenaline kind of carried me through. I felt I didn't need the sleep. And um, every, every little thing that he did um, was amazing. And even he never slept lying down if I put him down he would wake up but I relished in this idea of having him sleep on me and that he mm. wanted to sleep on me and I had nothing but time so I literally lay on the couch with mm. him sleeping on me and and I think I was in a really good headspace I kept reading books um, about gentle parenting and attachment parenting and I was loving it and then I guess the expectation started to creep in that you know well yeah it's okay if he wakes every two hours overnight because that's what babies are meant to do but then the expectation came in like well as they get older aren't they meant to sleep a bit longer and as they get older isn't it meant to start getting a bit easier and as they get older well actually it's getting a bit old that I have to have them sleep on me because now I can't do anything and now it's getting to the point where I can't move or um, I can't just so easily get up and make food and if I if there's a noise he'll wake up and then I I stress about it. So mm. I think it was just a little bit slowly chipping, chipping away of all these things that I expected. Yeah, they might have happened straight away, but I kept having the expectations that things would get easier and better. And when they didn't, I started mm. questioning myself. Yeah. And I think it's it's so easy to fall into that too, because there's so much information. You do so much Googling that you shouldn't do. And I remember Googling like, when will my baby sleep longer than two hours? Mm-hmm. And, you know, some things say six months, some things say 12 months, some people say you should sleep train, all that sort of stuff. And I was, yeah, sort of in the same, um, had the same experience as you with, we did like contact mapping for probably the first 12 months or more. Yeah. Well, <laughs> or and, cars and or think, prams. Well, um, and he did actually get um, less settled. So the first maybe six to eight weeks he was a really when he was awake he was a super happy dude and he would would if he was on me he would sleep kind of thing so I slept you know I co-slept with him and napped with did contact napping um but he started to get more and more unsettled and then it was this idea that well I'm doing all all the things that I think are right but it's not working and I'm doing air quotes because you know I'm giving him everything, you know, I'm not putting him down to nap. I'm not, you know, leave, you know, leaving him to cry. I'm not doing any, like he's got everything of me, but it's still not working. And I think that became the, the real mind fuck that what mm. more can I do? What more can I give you? It's not getting better. It's getting worse. Mm. So how did you sort of navigate that? So I went through a pretty, pretty dark time. I ended up getting, um, a sleep consultant after quite a lot of pressure from my family and just I guess almost cultural pressure I feel like mm. you know I'm not going to go on a rant but <laughs> from my understanding of, of kind of e-commerce and and 
online advertising, you know, if you are a new mother, they know that because you have yeah. put some sort of Google information into Google or Facebook or whatever, and then you get targeted. And yeah. and baby sleep consultants, especially the the bigger ones, they spend a shitload of money targeting mm. you. And they know when you're vulnerable. They know when to get you at three o'clock in the morning when yeah. to target you. And I was, even though I, and this is what, what I found really hard, even though I knew that, even though I was aware of that, and even though I really, it didn't sit well with me, I still fell into the pressure of it. And I mm-hmm. think it was a big part of it was, was my family. And that's not to blame them. This was, my big sister was going through this herself. My mum couldn't understand because she was like, well, none of you girls ever kept waking up. Like, I don't see what something must be wrong with him or you or, you mm. know, so... I paid a lot of money to have a sleep consultant come to our home and you know I did I got really excited because she was like you know we can this is this is easy to fix you know these are just you've got to stick with this plan that we give you and and she had a very specific way of hold way you had to hold your baby and way you had to pat them in a certain way but not pat them and then not move but move them in this certain way it was all really rigid Thank and it, and it was locking me into this time frame because I also drove him to sleep or he would fall asleep in the car and I would drive him around and by the stage I had a front pack and I was front packing him he was about five months old so it was just getting his sleep was getting worse and I was really um not doing well with the sleep deprivation and as well one of the things we were trying to navigate is whether he had allergies so because he he really seemed to have some pain in his stomach and and silent reflux and um so I was on an elimination diet so I wasn't really eating anything mm. um and and wasn't sleeping at all really. so you were breastfeeding too and I was breastfeeding too yeah. yeah so and I think it's this you know I was I know now like the postnatal depletion that I was in you know, that I believe is such a big part of a lot of postnatal mental health issues is actually that that depletion, physical depletion, because not only are we um, not sleeping, which is a big part of it, but we don't feed ourselves well, either because of something like an elimination diet where you're existing on, I think, corn chips and red wine was all I could. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Um, <laughs> Yeah, just not getting what my body needed at all. And as I said, it was like I was giving everything. Um, so, yeah, we just, the sleep consultant was actually what tipped me over the edge because the the rigidity of what um, she was getting me to do and the craziness of having to black out the bedroom in the middle of the day with tinfoil over the windows. Mm. And I was being instructed that, I had to hold him in my arms in this certain way and pat him in this certain way. And I could give up if he had cried for 45 minutes. And of mm. course he did. But that's mm. both of us crying for 40 minutes. Mm. You know, Absolutely. It was just it's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. And I think what broke my heart the most is that it didn't sit right with me for, to begin with. But I had mm-hmm. so lost touch with any sense that I knew what was right for my baby that I was following along with this woman. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, it just sent me really down a spiral and and she was putting a lot of pressure on me that I wasn't wasn't sticking to the program and that's why it wasn't working. But then she mm-hmm. started asking, like, how's my marriage? Like it just oh, it, wow. it was really not okay. And then like, well, if he sleeps in the front pack, 
for an hour, you need to go for two hours because he needs that sleep. And it became very much like he's not getting the sleep he needs because, and that could do damage essentially what he was, she was implying to me that, um, and that was my responsibility. Mm. So I was walking, you know, I wasn't eating, I wasn't sleeping. I was walking around the park every day for two hours mm. in this, you know, thank God for podcasts is all I can say. They really <laughs> honestly saved me um, during yeah. the time. Um, and in the end, we just found ourselves in a worse place, told her to fuck off basically <laughs> and just, but still felt really lost we, because yeah. I hadn't, I had moved further away from my intuition. So mm. I was lost in that, that sense and things had got worse. We're just continuing to get worse with, with River. And so we were just really in a, in not a good place. Mm. And I think, you know, there is so much pressure culturally for our babies to sleep and oh. we're told constantly like, oh, if they don't sleep properly, their development's Absolutely. going to lack yeah. and it's your responsibility to teach them how to sleep and I, like you, was lucky enough to sort of find, I guess, community in yeah. people who practice baby-led sleep and, mm. um, you know, uh, developmentally normal sleep, I suppose. Yeah. But, yeah, it's for a new mum. And then, like you said, to have the, um, like, the targeted ads, oh, my God, they're just like the biggest bunch of pricks. <laughs> like it's 2am, I'm exhausted feeding and baby's crying and there's someone telling me they can get my baby to sleep in six days. Oh, absolutely. And and I think the thing I actually found hard is I did find amazing online communities, um, but some of the rhetoric in it was just this idea of, well, um, this won't be forever, you know, they'll, they'll sleep when they're 18. I'm like, well, that's mm. actually not helpful either yeah, because yeah. I am really in a place, I'm really struggling right now and I just need some, I need some encouragement. Mm. I need some uh, just affirmation that I am, that I'm doing a good job. But then I also need maybe some little tips that fit within this kind of idea of, of what's normal, but you know, normal and you know, still kind of this attachment parenting style. But, but I don't. I, it can't be that I just have to grin and bear it because mm. that's not actually feasible. And that's yeah. where I found myself. I found myself stuck in the middle of these two ideal ideologies of like, well, you know, and I almost feel that that there's a martyrdom to that um, baby led um, parent that mm -hmm. I think can can push you the the almost to the other end of the spectrum like you know they're only young for a short time so you kind of have to give everything of yourself in that time like it's not about you in that time it's about them and I actually think that's really dangerous too yeah absolutely um, so I just I felt really I felt really stuck and in the end one thing you know, we thought we'd found an answer and that um, he had an undiagnosed posterior tongue tie and mm -hmm. lip tie. Um, so we went and got that scene. He was 10 months old. So we were just really lucky he didn't have teeth. So he didn't have to go under um, general. Mm -hmm. So we got, so we got his tongue tie um, snipped and his lip tie. And obviously in our heart of hearts really hoped that it would be a silver bullet and, and it really wasn't, but, mm -hmm. um, but just, 
you know, having something to clutch onto that there was a reason why um, his sleep was so bad. And, and I guess I was just so lucky that he, when he was awake, he was so happy. And that, mm-hmm. that really, really, I think saved my sanity. Whereas with my second son, that wasn't the case. So um, I really thought that I couldn't get a worse sleeper than Riv. And then lo and behold, it exists. <laughs> <Something> <laughs> <back>. <laughs> Uh, and I think the thing that I've really struggled with the most with Mac is not only was his sleeping just as terrible, if not worse, but he's um, just a kid. He's two and a half now and it's still the same. He's just never particularly content mm. when ever. <laughs> I remember, yeah, I, you posted something about this recently. Um, yeah, about him when he's awake just being he just discontent or just yeah. a bit grumpy kind of yeah that's just and you know I've gone through a big journey of of feeling guilt because you know I think when when you have a happy baby it's so easy to bond with a happy baby you know Mm. you get smiles you get you get that kind of they look at you adoringly and they're just generally kind of you know excited about life and I and I think sometimes that can wash away any of the hard sleep times but then um you know to bond with a baby that is generally unhappy I found it really hard and so my you know and I look back and I know that it well I have deep compassion for myself as to why I did it but I just I kind of ran away from him like I tried to spend it I threw myself into my work I did everything necessary for him to be you know alive and for me Mm. to be you know not negligent but I just found the bonding experience really hard because he just it was a lot of work and I just was at when you couple that with sleep deprivation it's like you have no respite Mm. it's hard in the night and then it's fucking hard in the daytime Mm. Um, and so I felt a lot of guilt around how I around how I kind of pushed him away and you know, still we struggle to this day and my husband's now a stay-at-home dad and has been for about 18 months and and he really struggles as well because it is literally um yeah an emotional roller coaster mm. all the time and we're sleeping a bit more now like we still co-sleep and Max still wakes in the night mm. um but yeah it's during the daytime now that's that's really the it's testing us as human beings Mm. I get that quite a bit with my son too like around other people he seems to be quite happy and with us it's like you know he he's very sometimes he's fine but other times he just seems really unhappy Mm. and it's like almost like I feel like he's sick of us or something (laughs) probably after the COVID he totally is yeah absolutely (laughs) but a friend of mine actually said that um a sign of really good attachment with your child is that they can have those, like they can be sad around you and they can be upset mm. and they can be grumpy and they can show you. They have a you know, freedom. Yeah. They show you the full spectrum of their emotions because they trust in you to, to be there for them. So, I mean, that I is incredibly some, comforting. Yeah. I think there is some <laughs> comfort in that. I know that it's obviously still, you know, tough on you guys. And well, well I yeah. think how I'm, you know, it doesn't take away from just the, the day in day out kind of, uh, you know, deep breaths that we have to take all the time. But I really do believe that our children are sent here the exact, uh, you know, exactly who who we need in our lives to teach us the lessons that we need to mm-hmm. learn. And Mac 
doesn't care about putting on a show for people. You know, he doesn't, whereas Riv, you know, you'll say to him, oh, you know, your grandma's here and he'll be nice and, and he'll, he'll, you know, kind of flick a switch and be like, yay, okay, I have to be happy in front of grandma and things like that. Whereas Mac just doesn't give a fuck. Like he, <laughs> if he is not in a good mood. He's mm. not putting on a show for anyone. And, and I, that's a big lesson that, that I take from him. But yeah, it's, it's constant deep diving and constant deep breaths. And, and Steve and I, you know, thank God that we have um, put ourselves in a, in, in a position just as our family where we can tag in and out from each other. And I just think that's been so important. And it's been a journey over the last year and a half to mm-hmm. share the, the weight of, of our household, but also the emotional weight of, of rearing our children. Can you talk about that a little bit more about the switch 18 months ago in your work-life balance and with Steve um, becoming a stay-at-home dad? So um, the year of after Mac was born, his first year, I, I really struggled. And as I said, I really pushed myself into my work and I was running my business as well. Steve was working full-time, so Mac didn't, wasn't in any childcare. Riv was in a couple of days a week. And so I took and I did everything in the house um Mm -hmm. you know Steve was amazing when he came home he would put the kids to bed um and play with them obviously and we did fun things in the weekend but everything was on me and it just got to a point where I said I can't do this anymore and instead of making small changes Steve decided that a great idea would be to completely leave our life behind and buy a caravan and travel the country in a caravan with the kids Mm -hmm. and that the idea was that he would take on the primary parenting role and give me time to run my business. And I have to say the six months in the caravan was not like that at all. He, (laughs) you know, because I think we're in such close quarters as well. And it took until we rented a little house that we really had to, he really had to properly step up. And I said to him, you know, if you're going to take this on, you need to understand what it entails. It is not, just sometimes making a meal it's you know when you feel like it or when you've got a good idea for a meal it's not you know taking the kids to play but I've packed all their bags and made sure that they have the right clothes and snacks Mm. and things that you need to understand the full weight of this if if you're going to do this and so it took over about a three-month period of of us really being at loggerheads with each other and I definitely had a part of me that really wanted him to struggle and find it hard and I was probably quite a bitch to him and just you know when and when he would say it was hard I'd be like well yeah yeah like yeah what do you think I've been doing for the last few years (laughs) um so yeah it was a big transition period and it's got to the point now where we literally, you know, he, he does, he does more, he does more of the parenting. He, he fully knows what he does, the food shopping. He knows what's in the pantry. He knows what is about to go off in the fridge and that it needs to be cooked for dinner. Like Mm -hmm. it is the most amazing weight lifted off my shoulders around the, the constant mental load of having a family and having to think, you know, with COVID it's like, you know, not only are mothers now expected to look after their children more, still work Mm. and have their partners around which is kind of like having another child sometimes Mm. but they're they're the ones worrying you know uh if I take the child here what's the risk of this if you know they can't see a friend are they missing their friends are they losing out on social you know that mental Mm. load just adds to it and I think for that all to be on one person and that is the mother 99.999% of the time it is a big part of what's wrong with with 
family culture at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And we've really lost that village. I mean, more so now in COVID, but, you know, we'd never really had it to begin with. It's sort of just like, okay, it's your job. You Oh, and you I, and I really am so passionate about trying to find a way to bring back the village. And I, I have an understanding that it's not going to be like it was mm. um, when we lived in, in villages, but, but I am really passionate about finding a way that women can have that because I, even speaking to a, um, a new friend that I've made up here the other day, she is a, was an early primary, um, early education um, teacher and went back to work when her first child was three months old and obviously took her, her child to work. And she said that her baby had five mothers, you know, the five mm. women who worked in this childcare centre. Um, and they were all of different age women. They all had different age kids and different experiences and different ways of parenting. But there was just a common sense, you know, common feeling that they just wanted to support each other in the journey that is motherhood. And, she said not only did she have the most amazing experience of of you know postpartum and even in the first few years of her daughter's life but her daughter was is was and is the most chilled out kind of amazing and i'm not saying other kids aren't amazing but she just has a a really chill cool nature about her and I, and I kind of said you know do you think that's from this experience of not having a mother not taking because I truly believe our kids take on our our stress and they make it theirs it's kind of we have this amazing dyadic relationship where that kind mm. of happens and and I think that can really manifest as anxiety in children because they take on that from us and, and it's not a blame game it's that is the culture that we live in that mothers mm. are put on a pressure cooker we're not wired to be at home alone by ourselves with a with a, a small human being, we are not made to do this alone. Mm. And our children, I don't think, are made to have one parent. Mm, historically, absolutely. we have never, you know, they historically they've had five to seven primary caregivers. Yeah. Um, and I really think that it's how we're going to heal the the motherhood space is to find a way to reincorporate the village somehow. Mm. Um, you talk a lot about um, sort of in those early postpartum months about the martyrdom that comes into that role of motherhood and how, I guess, to a degree, you know, you felt like you had to be a martyr um, mm -hmm. to be a good mother. Can you talk a little bit about that? And um, I guess that the moment of realisation that that didn't, it didn't need to be that way. <laughs> well, I look back now and I... I remember that for a very long time, my my mum had said to me, probably back as far as I can remember, when you become a mum, she said, it's never about you anymore. Mm -hmm. And that that was ingrained, you know, that became my idea of what motherhood is. Um, and how that looked for me was just so cliche, martyr, mum syndrome of the less I think care or um do for myself the better mother I am and that manifested in you know the cliche of not shower you know mm. the less I shout if I could say well I've only showered once in the last two weeks it was mm. this badge of honor that obviously I was putting my child before me because I wasn't even showering mm. um, and it it really was to such a disadvantage to 
my relationship with Steve and when I when we first had children because I wouldn't let him do anything because not only is it the smarterdom of it has to be me but it's also I am the only one that can do it because I know I'm the I you're not going to do it as well as me um so it's kind of a control freak thing mixed mm. with martyrdom which I think is so common and I think that was modeled to a lot of us by our parents um so it got to the point where I resented doing it and there's a lot of resentment I think that comes into the martyr complex so I did everything but I resented having to do everything but then I never asked for help or let anyone help me so mm. it was this absolute shitstorm of me being completely exhausted but resentful it just was it was not a good place and I I I can really remember the moment I was standing in our kitchen back back in Auckland where we lived and I'd listened to this incredible podcast and a woman on it um, Mandy Saligari had said if if we do not learn to give to ourselves then we can never give to our children without any strings attached and that's when it really hit me that this martyrhood shit that I was playing it, it's going to uh, play out in my relationship with my children just as it played out with me and my mm. mother and I didn't want that for my children because there's a lot of when you are the child of a martyr there's a lot of guilt there mm -hmm. because unconsciously implicitly or explicitly they put their um, unlived life onto you, mm -hmm. you know, that that I gave up everything for you and of course as a child that doesn't make any fucking sense because you say well I didn't ask you to you know and um, so there's a lot of guilt that's carried there and I experienced that myself and I could never pinpoint why it f why I felt this but now as a mother I realized um, that's exactly what it what it is that my guilt was for the unlived life of my mother which wasn't my cross to bear and here I was doing the exact same thing to my children mm. and I didn't want that for them at all. And so it was for me like a light switch had gone off. Um, but it, it was a muscle that I had built up for so long and because it had been modeled to me as well, it was so deeply ingrained. So it's taken a really long time. And funnily enough, the, the, the reaction that I had was to go completely the other way at first. I kind of dumped everything on Steve and was like, well, fucking now I don't yeah. have <laughs> like you know this idea of like like nothing like pff, I've done it for you know by this stage three and a half years like fuck you it's all on you um and I really ran the other way and we've had to kind of find this happy medium of each of us having and because he's now a stay-at-home parent funnily and I think you know, I would love him to talk more about this. He has experienced, he fell into the martyr trap as well. Mm. And I, I really want women to know that, that it is not a, a mother thing. It is a primary caregiver thing. If you are looking after children, I think it is a natural, I think the messaging from our culture is so strong that it's, it's a trap that we all fall into that, that love equals sacrifice that being a good parent equals sacrificing yourself mm. um yeah i was just gonna say like it's so good that you are able to recognize that that's what's been modeled to you and to actively sort of parent and run a family in a way that will change that for your boys it's How so amazing it's so hard though because the dynamic of my mother is still live today mm. 
So it's interesting. I'm in, I can see it so clearly, but I can't fix that for her, which is mm. really, I'm a, fi- you know, mothers yeah. have that fixing thing, you know, thing as well. And so, and she's still drawing the guilt, the guilt still um, kind of the messaging that she's still sacrificing her life or she's doing the decisions she make and makes in her life are still based upon us, her children who are in our thirties. Um, it's still there. So I'm trying to navigate the space of feeling that still and almost being embroiled in that still and really learning, having to learn to uh, just cut myself off from the drama and, and know the reality of it and know mm. that it's really sad that my mum is st- in her almost in her seventies and still running that in her mind to then model it for my children, because it's not what, about what I say to them. It's about what I model because mm. that's what I've realized. And yeah, it's, it's, and still, it's still being feels, reinforced to you. By yeah, your own and mother. it still feels really naughty to, or, you know, really uncomfortable and really naughty to completely do something selfish for my, you know, selfish and in, in quotes myself, do something, um, for me and and sometimes you know I've been away from my kids and I do am able to be away and completely be free and in the moment which I think a lot of mothers don't have that but I think it comes down to knowing that Steve is so experienced in in parenting now that there's nothing I can worry about and he's not going to call me about silly things and he's not going to call me about you know really simple household stuff like he's got it and I don't think a lot of women have that mm. that's not oh, absolutely if they, they go away their husband is texting texting them being mm. like, well where's this where's this kept what am I meant to do now oh they haven't done this so um what does that mean for this schedule that you've written down for me kind of thing and mm. I really think that we can't deal with the martyrdom thing without um kind of incorporating the family dynamic because it is like having another child when you when your partner doesn't pull their weight within a household or have an understanding of what it is to be a primary caregiver and you can't have that understanding without doing it you can tell them till you're blue in the face about everything you do Mm. they have no experience of that then it's you know and there's a lot of a lot of gaslighting going on like you know well why do you find this so stressful like you know you must be a bit crazy or that's something wrong with you like women they go a bit nuts when they have kids or have you you know mm. you, you wanted children yeah like you knew what you were signing up for Steve had said that to me years ago he said but you wanted kids and he, he said well you've always wanted kids and I was like yeah before I had them before I <laughs> had children and knew what being a parent was like I had a fantasy of what being a parent was like and that fantasy was fucking amazing and it was easy because no one talks about this so like no one talks in this like real honesty like yes it's beautiful and rewarding and that you can get nice photos for Instagram but there's just so much like it it awakens something within you I think where you're just like what the hell like has this been going on for how has this been going on for decades well and 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 maybe it's a biological imperative because if if people knew the truth if it was like okay well so you are going to your your whole body is going to change your brain is actually going to change shape and when this this human being comes into your life it is going to trigger the parts of you that are so deep and buried and dark that you are going to go through like a phoenix in the flames you're going to burn it all down and and 
hopefully if you have the support and um, kind of not luck, but like if you're up for it, you're going to emerge as a completely different person and still you're going to get triggered time and time again. And it's going to be a lifelong journey of dealing with your shit alongside another human being and their, you know, existence in the world. People will be yeah. like, oh, no thanks, might get yeah. a puppy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think, but I mean, having these conversations and being like so open and honest is hopefully going to make people realize that, you know, we do need that village and it can't, it can't, you can't dedicate your life to someone 24 seven at the detriment of yourself because well, and how can you be a good parent in, if you're, you know, unshowered, sleep deprived, starving, you know, <laughs> you, you absolutely can't. And, and there's a, the, you know, a big, another big lesson for me over the, this whole journey has been about judgment. My, my judgment because of, of the messaging that I had about what, you know, that sacrifice equals love. I would see mothers who, were dressed and wearing nice clothes and obviously showered and had had straightened their hair god forbid mm -hmm. and the judgment that i had of them and i realized now that it was just something inside of me being like how come you can do that and i can't mm. you know but the I reality is they probably um got up at 4am to straighten their hair and yeah. i've done that i know that i've done that like i remember with mother's group i, was, I always wanted to have makeup on like just for my own like personal pride but I remember one mother saying, how do you have time to do that? And like re the reality is like I hadn't slept in days and, you know, I had makeup on, but I hadn't showered, but they don't know that. <laughs> yes. And it's like and, the one time you've done it in a month just so you can mm. get out of the house and go to mother's group. Mm -hmm. oh, I think that's, that's so true. And so I believe that motherhood is, is the great leveler and great connector, but that only happens if we can, we can, get out of our own way almost mm. and and get out of the judgment of and yeah just learning that the judgment is always there's always kind of a reflection of a tiny voice in, in ourselves that maybe can't speak up or wonders like why can't I do that or why can't I have a bit of that or be a bit like that or um yeah so it's been a mega journey because I really do think that through motherhood we just the can the level of connection that you can have especially when it's not surface level and i think that's the other problem with with a lot of connection through motherhood it becomes very um our kids are the same age so we're going to have conversations about when they walk and you know when they've learned to do this and what food are you going to try with them this you know this week and we're losing the opportunity to really connect because mm what actually comes up in motherhood is the you know you're talking about dnms if you want to get dnms with a mum, like mm. you can go one centimeter below the surface and you're going to start getting to the real shit yeah absolutely and i think that's a really tricky thing in like yeah mother's groups and stuff you sort of feel like you have to talk about oh so is your baby rolling over and and when at what age did he start doing this and I'm like, I just want to talk about like how my nipples are bleeding right now. And like, is anyone else having this problem with their vagina? Yes, 1 million percent. And like how their relationship with their husband has changed. Like, mm. 
relationship with their mother has changed potentially. That was another big one for me. Um, mm. Even my mother-in-law, my relationship with her changed um, when when I had children, you know, with their, with your friends, like with yourself. There's just so much more to it than, you know, the what your baby's doing and wearing and saying, mm. Mm. which is, of course, exciting too, but... Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about Ms. Marnie and how, like, did the, did your business sort of change because you became a mother? Is that like, how long have you been operating? I, I didn't start the business until Riv was one. So uh-huh. it was um, through, but it was definitely, definitely um, born from a needing something for myself other than, than being a mother um need needing something uh for that didn't like it almost it's funny because you think I need something that's not my baby and then a business is kind of like a ba- another baby mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah probably um, a more demanding one too yeah, but, <laughs> it, but it involved adult conversation which was amazing um but really it was for me it was a outlet for because my designs are so personally based on personal experiences and, and generally kind of growth moments or light bulb moments that I have. So the first design, which is the, oh, should I'm a queen finger? It was this idea that, you know, as mothers, I think there's a general experience of really losing yourself. And I think what you can find through motherhood is actually a deeper sense of, of power than you even had before, you know, before this version of yourself that you think you lost. And it's this idea that in, in every single one of us, and actually um, the tagline for, for the business is the fearless badass goddess in me sees and salutes the fearless badass goddess in you. And I think that was such a big driver of it, this idea that, that, that as the experience of motherhood could help you you connect to something in yourself that was so deep and powerful of like this real womanhood and I think that the way to do that as well is to see that in other women and that's the judgment piece I was talking about because I really struggled with with judgment of myself and of others that was a big a really big stumbling block for me as a mother and so when I started uh, it was Eskimo Nell at the time um I wanted that connection so badly. And I think because it came from the heart and, and so many mothers could could relate to that, or women, because the first design wasn't really about motherhood at all. Well, outwardly, um, so many women related to that feeling of just their outsides not matching their insides, if that mm. makes sense, and just really wanting to show themselves in the world that there was still, you know, some fire some sass some kind of badassery in there Mm -hmm. which I don't think people believe is synonymous with motherhood it's like this fantasy we have of mums being these earth mother goddess kind of you know uh and that's that might be some people and that's amazing but I don't think we all really believe or that or aligns with who we truly are you know because mums can swear and mums can wear outrageous clothes and funky clothes and even punky clothes and even be a bit dangerous and even be a bit risque like 
you know, even like sex and talk about sex. And, you know, that's not what (laughs) in the realm of what we think of mothers that are meant to be soft and nurturing and, um, you know, we're organic linen fibers and things. So that's really where it came from. So, so many of the the t-shirt designs, you know, I think the next one was more than a mama, which was this idea that, you know, I guess the same thing that we, we can, it's not one or the other. It's not leaving ourselves to be a mother that, that motherhood is an integration into our lives of being our true selves. Yeah. And I'm a mum too. And I know that it is such a huge part of our identity, but it doesn't have to be our only identity when we, when we become a mum. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you said at the the beginning of the, the episode, it's a t-shirt brand or a t-shirt company, but it's not just that. And it's so true because you've created this community of women um, who are, are probably having those conversations with themselves about who they are, who they are as a mother and who, what else they can be doing or want to do. And um, yeah, I think that that's just so important and so amazing. And I have a pair of your earrings with the middle finger and I wear those to work a lot when I used to be able to go to the office. (laughs) (laughs) And it does make me feel like I have that like sassy edge part of me that's just like, yeah, I'm a mum, but like, look at my earrings. (laughs) Yeah, and and it's so funny that, that, you know, I think of it sometimes like it's just, it's a T-shirt, you know, but it's the power of the symbolism on it is of, of wearing something that, you know, I've, I've told the story so much, but I just love it. A a woman, quite a few of my um, customers are are rural and small town women in New Zealand. And, and one of them messaged me and said that she put on the the t-shirt with the queen finger and her husband said, why are you wearing that? Like, that's not you. And she goes to him, you don't fucking know me. And it's just this, you know, just the sense of like, I think when women are taught to be nice and agreeable and and pleasant and kind of, you know, that when they be- get in a relationship, that dynamic kind of plays out a lot of the time. And then certainly when you become a mum, just there's an expectation about uh, who you are. And when you don't feel like that, it's almost like this raging beast in there being like, let me out. <laughs> um, and I feel like that, you know, that people can put on a t-shirt. It's like wearing a superhero cape, right? Mm. I just want to backtrack a little bit. So in the end, how did you sort of cope with, or how, how did you sort of come to some sort of, I guess, acceptance of sleep and baby sleep? and all that sort of stuff? Um, so, and interestingly, so with, with Riv, I became really desperate to get pregnant again. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm almost battling with that, not right this second, but I have, because <laughs> we've got the puppy. So <laughs> that, like, that's the, the cluckiness is gone. But with Riv, I was so desperate to get pregnant again, almost because I wanted this fresh start. Like I wanted... Um, almost like this redemption, redemption baby. So, and almost, I think, to take my mind off the realities of, of Riv's sleep and, and how I was feeling about not getting it right and it, it not being better. And, and I, so I think from about the time he was one, I became quite obsessed with getting pregnant again and still didn't have my period back at that point. So 
started going to like an Ayurvedic doctor and we were doing all these herbs and chants and things to, you know, get the downward flow going and my grounding to try and get my cycle going again. And, and I was still breastfeeding at this time. And it wasn't until I stopped breastfeeding Riv that I got my, um, my period back. So that was about 17 months. Mm -hmm. And then I got pregnant in the month after. And I think, so I just moved my attention away from the sleeping was kind of all I did. I found something else to think about, which was being pregnant. And I guess by this stage he was, uh, so he was 18 months and weaning him definitely helped with his sleep. Mm -hmm. And that happened with both the boys. Um, weaning definitely helped with his sleep. And I guess because I was pregnant as well, I was felt more able to, get Steve to step up because now I had a reason. So now I'm a pregnant person. So pregnant people can ask for help mm -hmm. if you get me, which is so yeah. funny. Um, and, and I think with Mac, we still struggle with his sleep and I really, you know, and there's still a lot, I've always wanted a lot of kids. Uh, when I was young, I wanted six kids. And then when we had one, I was like, maybe four. And, and there's <laughs> Minus big, two each yeah. time you have another child. Yeah. And there's a big part of me now that understands that a, the, that one of the motivators for me having another child is this redemptive factor that that I really want this experience of having uh, an easy baby, mm -hmm. if that is you know this a unicorn baby, and I think as well then I projected onto maybe having a girl like, mm -hmm. um, and and I have to really watch myself because I truly believe that I have a lot of. Uh, I think of it almost like a PTSD with baby sleep. Like with mm -hmm. uh, with Mac, it got to the point where I could not do any naps. Like I, it, the anxiety because I create I developed anxiety around the time of getting that first sleep consultant. Um, the anxiety that I related to baby sleep was mm -hmm. it is still to this day really strong and. Mm -hmm. So I understand that if I do, if we do want to grow our family, um, then I will really have to deal with that and almost rewire the parts of my brain because I do understand that it's a diet, diet, like my anxiety has an effect on baby sleep as much mm. as baby sleep has an effect on my anxiety. So, um, yeah, I'm really wary that, that I, that it's not, I'm not going to magically have another, if I had another baby, it's not going to magically be different, that there's a lot of work that I'll have to do to make sure that I am in a better place. I don't think it's, you know, because a big part of it was when I had Mac, I had an expectation that I would know better and do better, if that makes sense, that I wouldn't fall into these traps, that I wouldn't, um, you know, outsource my, my power to other people, but actually I felt more lost because, uh, I, I still, I, I had an expectation myself that I would have the hang of it and then I didn't. So it would like took me even lower almost. So I'm very aware that baby sleep has had a huge effect on me mentally, mm. emotionally, and that it's still a big trigger for me because mm. we've just had to ride it out. Yeah. And I think that's so understandable um, given yeah, your experience outsourcing to a sleep consultant and then second-guessing yourself and losing that sort of intuition. But I think at the same time, like, most of us don't know what we're doing, right? Like, if we have a baby that's not sleeping, and my story is very similar to yours, but I remember my husband saying, like, it's 
it's our job to give him the opportunity to sleep, but we can't force him to to close his eyes, you know, and it's, it's so hard because you feel that pressure that you, you know, your baby should be sleeping Mm. a certain amount of time or certain amount of hours a day. But I think, um, yeah, I mean, you've got to like try to sort of, lower that expectation around and and I think funnily enough it's an amazing lesson that carries through all of of parenting because it goes you know you your kids are older and you're then they don't eat the food you put in front of them and it becomes a power struggle almost the same with sleep well I have to make you eat your food because if you don't eat x and y and z is going to happen to you and that's my role as a parent to make you eat and I'm going to tell you the certain times that you need to eat and what kind of food you need to eat and realizing that almost as as your husband said that that our job as parents is to provide them with the food Mm. the right food and you know we can't for you can't force a kid to eat either yeah. same way but we in the same way as sleep we have this um i guess pressure to be in control and being a good parent is controlling your child almost mm. that that you can um wrap this schedule around their life and and kind of put them into box uh, boxes of when they should be doing what and how they should be doing doing it and sometimes we fight against our kids and fight against their nature as well. Mm. And I think that's another thing with baby sleep is realizing that children sleep differently and they might sleep differently from what we want them to. And trying to fit their square peg in our round hole of sleep Mm. is going to mean that it will always be a battle. And then you also need to learn to be, to, to find the time in the day to do something for yourself. If you are dealing with, sleep deprivation like you know it's you were saying about the um you know baby led sleep and the gentle parenting sometimes that can feed into that martyrdom and I completely agree because it's like saying oh I haven't slept in two years but you know look at me I'm like still standing but it's like no no we need to figure out that balance if you're not getting that sleep at night and you're and you choose to not sleep train Mm -hmm. which is totally Mm -hmm. like I think a a decent kind of decision to make um how can you look after yourself in the day whether it's you know half an hour just to have a bath or go for a walk or whatever it might be um that was something I really struggled with to to feel okay with giving myself some time yes totally and I think as well um finding people that can help you that maybe aren't your immediate family. Cause I know for me, like I have this big thing about wanting to bring back the auntie because I believe having, especially an older woman who isn't your mother. So doesn't have the baggage of your mother, but an older woman who has some life experience, who has a bit of perspective and who loves you and loves your family. Um, and it doesn't have to be a blood auntie, just this idea of this person that you can look to that will come over for a couple of hours in the mm. weekend to look after your baby while you go for a walk or have a sleep and and is happy just to, you know, would drop off a meal. And just if we bring back aunties, I actually think it would honestly just be the biggest gift to mothers. And I'm just trying to think how we do it, you know, whether because it can be anyone and there are a lot of older women who would fucking love that Mm. opportunity to become part of a family like that and give their time and and if we can open ourselves up because I 
think another part of the problem is that we now live on, you know, we live on our own section and we have our own space and we get very used to that and we get very used to how we do things and it becomes safe and quite rigid and, and other people coming, you know, we don't allow other people to come in because they're not going to do things our way. And I think if we let go of that, it will be amazing for um, a learning, but also just being okay not being in control, which I think is a big lesson of parenting. Mm, absolutely. I think it's the biggest lesson. <laughs> it is the biggest lesson of parenting. And it'll probably continue on for the next few decades. <laughs> well, it, and, you know, even I think now that, that I, you know, my relationship with my mum, actually her not being in control of my life is something that she still struggles with. Mm. Um, so, you know, maybe it's, it is the journey of parenting. I think so. Marnie, thank you so much. This has been so awesome. I could chat all day about this. I know. <laughs> I'm going to get you back on. We're going to chat more about lots of things. Yeah, there is um, yeah, there is so much that I um yeah, that I've been through myself that I just love sharing because I as I said I just feel like motherhood is the great connector and there's so many experiences that the context might be different but the, you know, the root feeling of it is the same. Mm thanks for listening to today's episode please come over and say hi on instagram that's where i like to hang out Uh, my handle is at postpartum underscore with underscore steph s-t-e-p-h that's where i'll be sharing podcast episode updates too hope to chat to you soon